Hey, uh, we're going through the book of John together as a church family, uh, and we're calling the series, say it with me, Perspective. You're like, I can't even read that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Perspective. And we've been talking about this idea of how we all have different perspectives. Here's the definition we've been using. Uh, We'll put it up here. The perspective definition, a particular attitude towards a way of regarding something, a point of view. Now, what's interesting, right? We can throw up any item, we can throw up any scenario, and every different perspective in the room will kind of hit it from a different angle, right? Um, sometimes we can, have, we can see things or think of a, a, a scenario or a situation, and at some point you can look at that same thing and be happy and excited about it, and another group of people will look at that same thing and be like really angry and frustrated by it. I'll give you a couple examples just to kind of see where we're uh, going today. So, for instance, when you see this, For some of you, this might make you really frustrated because you had plans that day. You had outdoor plans. You had a wedding. You had a party. You had whatever the thing was, and it's rained out, and you're frustrated, and you're angry. But others of you, when you see this, you're just, you might be a farmer, and you're like, man, I need, my crops needed some nourishment, okay? Or you might work construction, and you're thinking, ooh, it's going to be a chill day today. You know what I mean? I mean... I used to do landscaping, and man, that was a nice day just chilling in the truck, if you know what I mean. And I love that, getting paid to chill in the truck. All right, next, uh, maybe you see this. If you're here in our Plymouth location, you know what I'm talking about, right? That train hits right here, and you're just angry. You're just, you've said a few words to that train, okay? You've said a few words in, in the past to that train. It makes you angry, but sometimes that might make you actually happy because it gives you a good excuse because you're going to be late anyways. So it's like, blame it on the train. Don't worry, I do it too, okay? All right, next. Um, this. I was only going five over, man. You know, and they give you a ticket. You're so frustrated by that. But I also wanted to put this picture up because notice this white stuff that's just starting to flow down. You see it on the ground. Like, it's coming. Just remember, it's coming. It'll be here soon, right? It's coming. I know. Just, but, uh, but, you know, in the same way, this could be someone that's car stalled and a, store, a snowstorm's coming. And that officer there is there to help them. And so they're feeling happy about this situation. I think you get the idea, right? Different scenarios, different perspectives, different images. Sometimes you can view it as happy or sometimes you can be very frustrated or angry by that specific thing. And that leads us into what we're talking about today because as we land the plan on chapter two, the text, if you will, starts to heat up. But specifically in the text, what's heating up is not just anything, it's Jesus actually heating up, where he gets really frustrated and really angry, and he reacts in a pretty kind of what we would read sometimes is a little crazy. And sometimes it can be confusing reading it because you're thinking, well, I thought Jesus was supposed to be just like loving and calm and gentle, you know? He's not supposed to be getting all frustrated and, and, and angry, and I thought he was sinless, so how could he respond in such a manner? And so we're going to dive into this scenario when Jesus uh, kind of steps into the temple and gets a little frustrated. But at the same time, what I want us to do is to kind of then look towards ourselves and ask ourselves, okay, well, what's up with us when it comes to our anger issues? What, 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 what is the difference between a healthy anger and an unhealthy anger? And we're going to be diving into that. And so some of you are like, okay, wow, I mean, he's talking about anger today. How did he know? Like, how did he know? Because I'm pretty angry right now. Or maybe you don't think you have anger issues, but the person next to you, they're like, you do, you know, and so they're really glad that, that you're here today as well. But before we dive into this, uh, I just want to pray for us as always to just set our minds as we jump into the text. So Father, you're mighty. You are awesome. Thank you for being constant as we just sung about. I mean, it's unbelievable. Your address has never changed. You're still sitting on your throne always. 
You see every stinking detail of our lives. You know all of our worries. You know all of our cares that have been brought into this room. You never blink. You, you know it all. You don't miss a thing. And so we're so thankful for that. Um, God, help us to hear from you today. Get me out of the way as always. And we love you and we pray this in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Devin, you beat me to the punch, man. I didn't even say amen yet, but you beat me, but it's okay. I missed you. I missed you too. Devin, I missed you too. Sky. Come on. Come on. Let's do it, man. Come on. Bring it in. Oh, man. Ugh. If you want a hug that'll suffocate you, this yeah. is the one. All right, now go sit down and be quiet, okay? I'm just kidding. All right, no. Ugh, okay. We love you, Devin. Okay, so where are we at? Um, okay, grab your Bible, as always. Grab a copy of, of, of the scriptures. Grab your journal. Write things down. Uh, it's, it's, so he, he, here's what's happening. John, up until this point... We've seen John the Baptist call Jesus the Son of God. We've seen Jesus call out his first disciples. And then last week we saw Jesus perform his first public miracle of turning water into wine. And so let's just say there's a buzz going around about Jesus right now. People are like, who is this guy? What is going on here with this? So he's getting viral, if you will, uh, from our terminology. And so here's where we pick it up. So we're going to be starting in verse 13, chapter 2. Let's go. It says this. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. Now, I just want to highlight this, that John lets us on a, in on a, a very important detail to understand what's going on here in this event. It says that it's during the time of Passover. Now, Passover was one of the three different festivals where um, Jewish people would come from, if they weren't living in Jerusalem, from all over to go back to the temple. And Passover specifically is where they would bring animals to sacrifice to atone for their sins. Okay, it's kind of a kind of strange thing, but that's what they did back then. It's strange to us in our modern you know, world. Um, so this was taking place. And so when this would happen, the population of Jerusalem, uh, and many scholars have said that it would uh, multiply almost six times the amount of the normal population. And so what, what, what he's letting us in on is that the city's jamming. The city is packed. And not only is the city packed, but the temple is packed as people are heading all eyes on the temple to go and worship the one true God. And so this is just a very packed scenario, okay? And then it continues, and it says this. Uh, and making a whip of cords, so Jesus makes a whip in the temple, he starts driving them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. Then it says this. It goes to the next one. It says, and he poured out the coins of the money changers, and he overturned their tables, and he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. And his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. And so, what in the world? So Jesus makes a whip. He's driving out the animals. He's knocking over the tables. Money and coins are flying everywhere. Jesus isn't happy. He's frustrated. You can sense the anger that's just pouring out of him right now. And so how do we perceive what's going on? Well, let's perceive his works at the temple, if you will. Like, why is he getting so angry? Now, the first thing I just want to highlight is that he wasn't angry just because they were selling animals. 
And we know this because in the book of Deuteronomy, it talks about how they allowed the process of selling animals for the sacrificial system in and around the, the temple. Um, it was very inconvenient for people to bring their animals from where they lived to Jerusalem. And so they allowed people to take the sacrifice animal that they had, sell it in their hometown, take the money, and then go and um, you know, buy that animal near, in Jerusalem and around the temple. So that necessarily wasn't a practice uh, that was shocking to him because that was put in long before the permanent temple was even there. So what's the big deal? Why is Jesus flipping tables over? And so I want to give you a couple reasons that kind of lead to the same thought. Um, we're not exactly sure, but most likely these are the two reasons why Jesus was very frustrated. The main reason was is because people were taking advantage of the convenience of people getting their sacrifices, their animals there, and it was becoming a money grab. So people were literally taking advantage of people that wanted to just worship God uh, by trying to raise the price three to four to five to six times the amount of what the animals actually were worth or cost. And they would also, for people that actually brought animals from their hometown, it had to be animals that would say without blemish. And they'd have these high priests that would walk around and kind of evaluate your animal. And then even though you thought it didn't have a blemish, they'd be like, you see that right there? No, I don't see that. No, 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 right there. Yeah, you can't really see it, but we can see it. And so you can't use this one. But you can go over to Carl over there on booth 304, and he can give you a great steal of a deal on that sheep. Like, this is the stuff that was happening, literally taking advantage of people when they're just trying to worship God. They were putting up barriers in front of people to make it very difficult, taking advantage of people. Another reason why maybe Jesus was really frustrated and angry is because where they were doing it. They were doing it in this area of the temple called the Court of Gentiles. What the heck is the Court of Gentiles? The Court of Gentiles is where people that were not Jewish could come and worship the one true God. And so in the court of Gentiles, instead of making more room because it was the Passover, they filled the court of Gentiles more with people selling things. So it would literally be like us during Christmas when everyone comes to church and, and, and taking half the seats out and let's just put a gift shop up everywhere and you guys can buy all your trinkets and stuff. That'd be kind of weird, right? This is what was taking place. And so Jesus was very frustrated by this. Which also brings up a point. I, just, I remember as a kid reading this. And then I would see in the church that I was at growing up, like people selling things in, in, in the lobby. And I thought, well, man, if Jesus was here, he probably flipped tables over because we're selling things. And maybe you came into church today and you bought 71 coffee or maybe you bought uh, a hat or a Miles City you know, shirt or you bought a Daniel, or not Daniel, we're in John, a John journal. And you did some trade with money and you're thinking, well, man, is Jesus, if he was here, would he be knocking over, over tables? And I would say, no, he wouldn't, because our motive isn't to make money off of you. Um, our, our, all of the stuff that we do out there is to, go, any profits go to, to charity and cover the cost, so we're not wasting God's money. And so the motive isn't to try to make money off of everyone. It would literally be like almost, if we said what was happening, it would be like, okay, there's a cover charge to come to church. And if you don't have the cover charge, if you don't have the right animal and you don't have this type of animal, then you can't get in. That's what was happening. And so Jesus was so frustrated and righteously angry by this because they were impeding people's ability to worship, making it difficult, making it stressful so that people didn't even want to show up 
And then, you know, you think about our world today and the different religions and stuff. Sometimes that is the case. It just looks differently where churches or religions have just put up these different barriers so it's difficult for people to worship. And that is what frustrated Jesus. So we know why he was angry, but then his reaction? Because a lot of times when we think anger, a lot of times in our minds we think violence, we think um, we think we think violence, we think physical or mental abuse or cruelty. But the Bible makes it clear that anger isn't the issue. Sin is the issue, and anger can then turn into sin. And let me show you what what, this, what Scripture means by this. If you're taking notes, Ephesians four twenty six it says, "Be angry," and then it says, "And do not sin." So what do we see? The Bible makes the distinction between anger and sin. It isn't anger that is the problem. It is what we do with the anger that becomes the problem. It isn't anger that is the problem. Let me say that again. It is what we do with the anger that becomes the problem. And so here's two things that we often do with anger that makes it just a normal thing that turns it into a sin thing. The first is that we allow anger to just become a normal state of our lives. The verse continues. It kind of shows this off. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Anger should never have a permanent residence in your heart. Anger should not stay in your heart. Anger needs to be released, and then we need to let it go. But unfortunately, that's not what happens for some of us. And maybe that's you right now. You've walked into this room, and you have this permanence of anger in your heart over a specific issue or thing, and you just can't let it go. And you're walking around in bitterness and anger, and that is not how God has called you to live. And maybe that's why you came today. Like, how did he know? I didn't know. But God knew. And he's telling you right now, let it go. You're making yourself miserable. And I know sometimes letting that go, letting that anger go takes forgiveness. And I know forgiveness can be very difficult because I don't know what they've done or I don't know what happened. I'm not going to try to pretend that I do. But when we forgive, and remember, there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. That doesn't mean you're going to be best friends. But when we let it go, Man, it's huge. And even Isaac in his prayer talked about that we give grace because of the grace that he's given us. We can forgive because of how he has forgiven us. And so that is so important. We can't allow anger to live in residency in our hearts. It just damages us. Romans 12, 18 reminds us of the importance of having peace. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Paul also reminds us in Ephesians to make every effort for peace. Anger should not be an emotional response that motivates us to make positive change. Or sorry, anger should be an emotional response that motivates us to make positive change, not our permanent address. The other thing that we do that makes anger go from normal to sin is that we just lose control. We let our emotions just unleash at random or to whoever, and we start losing it. And we set aside our rational thoughts and we stop considering the people that we're talking to. And instead of having self-control, we lose control. And we know that that behavior isn't acceptable. Uh, Proverbs 29, 11 r- reminds us of it. Don't take it from me. Take it from the Proverbs. It says, fools vent their anger, but the wise, what do they do? They quietly, they hold it back. That word vent means to lose control with no care or consideration. But the idea of quietly holding back is composing yourself and releasing it at the proper time. This is self-control. Losing control, as we know, it just leads to hurt. It leads to pain. 
and a lot of other things that we regret. And we know this. And it's tough, right? I mean, something can really aggravate you and you can just lose it. Um, and right, and a lot of times, right, it's the people that we love the most. And they, and they get the brunt of it, right? For those of you that, have, that are parents and you have kids, they'll make you lose control, right? I mean, it's like, what the heck are you doing, you know? And it's just the idea of us not losing control and having self-control with the things that anger us. I want to just point out, too, that, that Jesus, you know, when, when he, you know, people say, well, he lost control. Well, I, I don't think he did because the temple was crowded. There's guards there. There's order happening. And so if Jesus, I mean, Jesus wasn't taking the whip and whipping people. I, I think we see that, that if Jesus was going to lose potential, like all control, that, that he would have been taken out of there and, and arrested. He was exercising his anger with authority and self-control, making a point of this isn't right. Jesus' anger didn't come because of something that was happening to him, but it was something that was happening to others. And that's another point. But all throughout scripture, as we see things happening to Jesus, he didn't have an anger issue. He showed self-control over and over and over again. And I have to go to the ultimate one when he was taking a sentence for something that he did not do, that he did not deserve. And instead of him hanging on the cross and saying, how could you people? He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. So let's self-evaluate, okay? Where are you with your anger today? Where are you? When it comes to your anger, where are you with your anger today? Is it, like when you think about, is it, is it, is it permanent? Is there something that's like, you can't let go of, and it's just taken residence, it's just moved into your life, into your heart? Or maybe for you, is your anger right now feeling like it's out of control? Like you just, you have a hard time controlling your temper, and it's just, and it's just causing a lot of hurt and a lot of damage. What does that look like for you? Now listen, I'm not a counselor. I'm a spiritual leader. I'm a spiritual guide. I'm a pastor. So I'm not trying to diminish like all the anger management stuff that's out there, but here's what I know that works. So for those of you in the room today, um, if you have anger issues and it's hard for you to control your anger, you can't let your anger go. um, If you are not a Jesus follower, I want to just tell you something, that when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, something amazing happens. The gift of the Holy Spirit comes inside of your life and he takes residence into your life. And then he does this thing in you that you can only experience it when it happens to you, is he creates the fruit of his spirit that starts coming out of your life. And one of those is the self-control that controls your anger. It's unbelievable. And so if you're having anger issues and you've never put your faith in Jesus, I'm telling you, he's the solution. Now, some of you are like, well, I did put my faith in Jesus and I still have anger issues. Uh, It's not working, Travis. Maybe you've received Jesus in the last few months and you're like, I'm still like, I don't, it's not working. It's not what I thought. If you're a Jesus follower and you still have anger issues, here's what I have to tell you. 
The reason is, is you're not tapping into the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. Simple. If you're still having anger issues, I just want you to hear, just, you need to hear this. You're not spending enough time with Jesus. That's it. I don't have any other answer but that. You're not spending enough time with Jesus. You might be reading his word, but are you listening to his word? You might be just kind of like talking things, but are you really meditating and and listening to him? Are you getting on your knees before your holy heavenly father in the midst of your anger? Are you venting to everyone else before venting to him? I mean, Jen and I talk about this all the time, like, and we don't necessarily like say this exact, we say it in different ways, but when we're tripped up on something in our family or things that have happened to us and we're frustrated and we're angry, it's like, sometimes it's just like, you need to go spend some time with Jesus, babe. That's her doing that to me, not me doing that to her. I would never. But it's, I'm, tell, I'm just living proof here. I'm just a knucklehead on stage. But when I am angry and I'm frustrated when people talk smack about me or, you know, whatever it is, when I get on my knees, it's my solution. And so if you're a Christian, you're a Jesus follower, and you're angry, you need to get on your knees more. And if you're like, well, I am, well, you need to stay there longer then until he brings you that self-control, okay? Let's keep going. John continues. So the Jews said to him, you know, tables are everywhere, you know, what's going on? The Jews come up to him and say, what sign do you show us? Give us a sign for doing these things. I mean, and so Jesus answered them, okay, destroy this temple. You, you want a sign? Okay, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it up in three days? I mean, who the heck do you think you are? Then he continues. Next one. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scriptures and the word that Jesus had spoken. So, so, so get this, at this point, everyone's scratching their heads. Even Jesus' followers are like, wait, what does he say? It wasn't until Jesus rose from the dead until they finally were like, oh, that's what he meant. Because when Jesus was saying this, he wasn't talking about the temple of raising up a temple of stones. He was talking about the temple of his bones in a sense. That's what he was talking about. And, you know, when he would say this, you, at first you kind of think, well, why would Jesus say this? Was he messing with them? Was he trying to string them along? They wanted a sign of authority. And you get thinking about it. That's the ultimate sign of authority. That he rises from the dead. Think about it. Like, there was a lot of people that did a lot of great teaching. They're dead. There's a lot of people that came before him that prophesied things and did different miracles and did cool things. They were all dead. But not Jesus. He taught unbelievable things and did unbelievable miracles and then proved that he truly is God and rose from the dead. The resurrection sets him apart from every other human that ever existed and sets him apart every false religion that's out there because he died and rose again. Amen. So you want a sign? We're we're perceiving his words at the temple right now. You want a sign? I'll give you a sign, the resurrection, which then I think, here's something that I wanted to throw out at you. Let's go to the next one. 
Sometimes we can be like those Jews. We can be like those Pharisees. And we can be asking God for a sign. Maybe you're asking God for a sign. And here's a thought. Are you trusting in the sign that has already been given? The ultimate sign of the resurrection of that, of that miracle. You know, maybe you're in the room today and you're frustrated and you're angry, but it's not at, you know, this thing or some other person. You're angry at God. Like, you have your fists out at God because of what he, what you think he did or what he didn't do or hasn't showed up in the way that you wanted him to and you've been asking for a sign and it never came and you're just like, I'm done, I'm out. And that's why the whole idea of having a relationship with Jesus is like this to you. It's like arm's length because you're, if you're honest, you're angry with God. And if that's you, I just want to talk to you. For, for those of you in the room that are not Jesus followers yet, you're exploring, you're seeking. I'm so glad you're here. And if you're looking for a sign for God to show off, my suggestion for you first is to lean in to the sign that's already been given and to lean into his resurrection. Because whatever thing you want to see or whatever problem you have doesn't even compare to what he accomplished through the resurrection of the major, most major problem that, you all, that we all have in our life is our sin problem. And so when we lean first into that resurrection, then everything else starts to kind of like not be as big of a deal. Now, for those of you that are Jesus followers and you're waiting for God to do something, maybe you've been following Jesus for a year or six months and you still haven't seen this change or you still haven't seen this, you still haven't seen him do that, or, and you're just frustrated by that and you're, and you're growing weary and you're like, ah, oh. same thing. I'm not saying it's bad to ask God for signs and ask him to show off in different areas. Yes, we still ask. But, but if it hasn't come yet, because sometimes right, our timing isn't his timing or uh, our way isn't his way. And so in the waiting, when you're frustrated and you want to give up, I know for myself in my own life, when I elevate myself to understand and look at the ultimate sign of his resurrection... And when I think about all the other problems that I'm facing down here, and I remember, no, 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 the most, the ultimate problem that I've ever faced in my life, my sin problem, he gave me the sign of his resurrection. It's all good. Then it helps clear my mind to have more of an eternal perspective that this problem that's still annoying and this thing that I'm still waiting for, and what are you going to do here? And what are you going to do with this? And when are you going to save this relationship? And when am I going to be able to... All this stuff, I know it's still painful, but when you remember that he's already taken care of the biggest problem that you'll ever face in your life, your sin problem, it shifts your brain, reframes your brain, it gives you the adrenaline to keep going, to keep waiting, to keep persevering. And so I just encourage you, keep speaking the gospel of his crucifixion and his, and his resurrection over your life and what he's done for you. That helps you persevere and keep going. We'll end with this, last couple verses. So this moment takes place and and then it says that now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, referring to, to Jesus, it says that many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. 
But Jesus, on his part, it says, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man. For he himself knew what was in man. So what's going on here? It says that they believed in the signs that Jesus was doing. And then if you've been coming here for a while, you're like, well, if I believe and put my faith and trust in Jesus, then he'll receive me. Well, it doesn't seem like he's doing that here, does it? And the reason why he's not receiving them here in this moment is because he can see right through them. And he knows the motive of their heart. That they're believing and wanting his miracles. But at this point, they didn't understand him to be the Messiah. They're wanting his stuff. But they're not necessarily wanting a savior for their life. Here's another way of putting it. Do you... Next one. Do you want a relationship with Jesus? So let's put this back on us now. Do you really want a relationship with Jesus? Or do you just want the resources of Jesus? Just like he knew them inside and out and could see right through them. He's the same God. He never changes. He sees you. He sees right through us. Inside and outside. He knows all the details, all the thoughts, all of our motivations. What's your motivation for following Jesus? Has it been just to get his blessings? Or do you really, really, have you really surrendered and grabbed onto the person of Jesus to be your savior, to be your king, to be your Lord? There's a difference. Because if you just grab onto the stuff that he might offer, he knows the motive of your heart. He knows if you've truly surrendered. You know, maybe for some of you too, it's, it's like you are still at this point in your life where you are, you're so angry at God still, like we talked about. You're angry because, and, and here's what I would say, if you're so angry at God, don't get angry at God because of other people's sin. Don't get angry at God because of the brokenness of the sin of the world. Because it's contradictory. Because when you really think about it, you're getting angry at the one who died for the sin of the world, including yours. Getting to that point changes everything for you. Listen, God loves you so much. I mean, I can't, I mean, it's just, you can't, I can't even put words to how much he loves you. That he was willing to lay down his life for you and give it all for you. To restore our relationship back to him because for the wages of sin equals death. You know what else God gets angry about? He gets angry about sin. And yes, he is a loving God, but he is a just God and he can't have anything to do with sin. And so sin angers him. And so what did he do with it? He defeated it. And because he defeated it, then he said that all who call upon the name of Jesus will be saved. Getting to the point in your life where you believe in him and receive him as your Lord. And then he will receive you and call you his sons and daughters. Are you one of his kids? 
If you're not, what are you waiting for? Let today be the day where you stop running. He loves you. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe that's you today. Maybe if you're honest, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. You've never experienced the power of having him live in you. And you've tried different things of the world and it lets you down every time. You don't understand everything, but there's something in you today that's saying, you know what, I'm done running from God. I want him to be my savior. I want him to be my heavenly father. I want to be restored back to him. He's calling out to you right now. He's saying, come, follow me. He's calling out your name specifically. Come, follow me. And so if that's you, then you just respond. And I'm going to lead you into a prayer. You can make your own words, make it into your own words. I'm just going to give you a pattern to repeat. But make it your own. Just say, Heavenly Father, I'm done running away from you. Today, I'm running towards you. I believe that you, Jesus, are God. Tell him that. Forgive me of my sin. Thank you for sacrificing your life for me. Thank you for rising again for me and showing me the ultimate sign. I humble myself today and I receive you, Jesus, to be my savior to be my king, to be my friend, to be my father. As we keep praying, listen, if you really meant that, God knows your motive. If you really meant that for real, then you're a new creation. Right now in this moment, the gift of his Holy Spirit is now taking residence inside of you. And now he gives you hope. He's giving you purpose. He's giving you life that now will last forever in eternity with him. It's such a gift. It's such a treasure. Father, thank you for the gift of knowing you. Help us as Jesus followers to keep tapping in to the spirit that lives inside of us. Forgive us for ignoring it. Give us patience that comes from you. Give us love that comes from you. Give us the kindness that comes from you. Give us the self-control that comes from you. We need you. We love you and we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Hey, can we give it up for those who maybe put their faith in Jesus for the first time today? Hey, um, if you did, I just want to remind you that that is the biggest decision of your life. Write it down. Write this date down. Don't forget it. There's literally, the scriptures say there's a party going on in heaven for you right now. Like angels are celebrating your decision today, your faith move today. It's so incredible. The other thing, I just want to encourage you, since it's such a big deal, tell someone. Tell someone that you came with. Tell a friend. Tell a spouse. Tell a parent. You can let us know by texting uh you know, than our 9,400, uh, you know, number on the screen, or we'll be right out there at the connect table. 
and would just love to talk to you and celebrate with you the decision that you've made.